The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk may not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. And the Eagles are so much better than the Eagles. No, no. Are the Philadelphia Eagles better than the Tallahassee Community College Eagles? Both had huge wins on Saturday night. It is a very good evening to you and how you be. William Haynes, as always, is here, and you are there on a chilly Monday night in Tallahassee, Florida. You're plugged in right now to Tomahawk Talk, the weekly sports power hour on the voice of Florida State, 89.7 FM, WVFS, as always, streaming online anywhere in the world at wvfs.fsu.edu. This show available the next day as a podcast, wherever you find them as well. Make sure on social media, at V89Sports, on Twitter, on Instagram. We do live updates of Florida State games, post our articles there, all kinds of cool social media stuff online. And want to let you know that you, the listener, can call us up tonight and give us your sports thoughts at 850-644-1837. FSU men's and women's basketball each went 2-0 this week. The women's team finally getting some respect. Well-deserved. They're ranked number 24 in the country as of the AP poll released uh, earlier today. We'll also cover the NFL divisional round Maybe the best weekend of football all year long. Preview at the end, a little bit of Championship Sunday analysis. Uh, we'll be on the air until new release at around 8 o'clock. And again, the number to call the show, 850-644-1837. Introducing the crew, taking you through the sports world tonight. I'm William Haynes and the co-host of the show, as always, Jackson Bake. It's Jackson. How are you? Well, I'll tell you what, if I was doing any better, I'd be dead. And uh, you know who is dead? All three Florida playoff teams. That's awful. And it, it's it stinks, you know. I mean, you got to root for your boys. And, and what, what's great about Florida football in terms of the NFL is complete opposite of college football in, in Florida. Um, all three don't really have any animosity towards each other. So it, it's nice that when one of them is kind of going far, we can all kind of band together as the Sunshine State and, uh, you know, root for our guys. But all three are are gone, and, and I'm a little bit sad about it, but um, I think two out of three of those teams had surprising years. Um, I think two out of three of them had disappointing years, um, you know, based on how the the trajectory of their season went, but uh, I'm doing well, William. I appreciate you having me on again. Um, it's always a good time, and I'm ready to get the show on the road. Yeah, we got a great show lined up tonight, and you're, I think I would argue all three Florida teams had a surprising year. The Buccaneers surprising in how poor they were. Maybe yeah. the Dolphins and Jaguars surprising in how good they were. So, yeah, I, I think the Jags, and we'll get into it, I think the Jags had a, uh, a surprising season all the way around. I think the Dolphins had a surprising season that then became disappointing, and I think the Bucs season was just disappointing all the way around. <laughs> you could argue that, and the heads start to roll in Tampa Bay with some of the offensive coaching staff. We'll have to cover that sometime during the offseason, because there's not enough time right now to cover it. Uh, and now next in our three-man panel for most of the show tonight, I want to welcome back for the first time this semester at least, Jack Arducer. Jack, great to have you. And I want to give you the floor because you got some pretty good news uh, the last couple of days, right? Thanks, William. Uh, yeah, I, I got an in-game host opportunity with uh, Seminole Productions and the ACC Network, so that's cool. And um, I'm excited to get involved in that and, you know, to – 
just keep on, you know, trying to make a name for myself, just like all of us at Florida State. Um, regarding the Sunshine Slate and all of our Florida teams disappearing, it's a shame. And as a Buccaneers fan, you know, I haven't had to pick a new team to root for in the playoffs recently. You know, we've we've been in, we've been involved, but now it's time to decide uh, who, to, who to root for because, you know, I, I know some Miami fans and some Jacksonville fans haven't, you know, had the success recently. But as a Tampa Bay fan, we've been involved recently, so it's time to pick a new team to root for right now. Maybe not, maybe not just for the next couple of weeks, but maybe for the foreseeable future. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if the Buccaneers are headed uh, downward or not. Tom Brady may be leaving. Like I said, who knows? Uh, but, Jack, our deuce are great to have you along as well. Thank you. Awesome to see at V89 Sports all the people we have involved in so many different things, people that write at the newspaper. We've had ACC Network sideline reporters. We've had all sorts of things. So uh, always like to, to give that a shout when we can. Last week we had a stand-up comedian. We did, yes. Mr. Andrew Cheney on the air, who does actually stand up here locally. That was uh, a fun time. He gave us a Jimbo Fisher impression, among other things. Uh, another quick shout-out I want to give, if only because I mentioned it at the top of the show. I know this is a Florida State show. It'll always be. The Tallahassee Community College men's basketball team, they're ranked number three in the country as of today, 21-1. and They just knocked off 21-0 and undefeated, previously number one in the country, Chipola. And the game was on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, the, the big ESPN crew came into the Eagle Dome on the west side of Tallahassee to, to televise that game. It was maybe one of the biggest games in, in their program's history, and, and they're, uh, they're flying high. And for those of you that don't know, you're listening, uh, whether you're listening live here in Tallahassee or uh, you know, through our Twitter stream, our online stream, or you're listening on the podcast uh, later on, whether tomorrow or whenever, uh, Mr. William Haynes, host of this show, he is the Screaming Eagle. He is the play-by-play announcer of TCC basketball and baseball here soon. Um, that's going to get cranking here. Yeah. Um, hoping I'll be able to maybe call some games with you. It should be a good time. Um, give you some more baseball stories when I can. But uh, you ever get the chance to, to listen to William? He's a true professional and a, and a really great, great broadcaster. Well, I re- appreciate that, Jackson. Opening day yeah, for TCC Baseball is, is this Sunday already. We're going to have some baseball in January. Uh, yeah, and, and, and men's basketball. I That's mean, pretty early. It is. Uh, they, they played uh, opening day in January last year, too. So something about JUCO is just a little bit different. Mm. JUCO Bandits get started early. A lot of energy with JUCO baseball, though. Yeah, it's the best. Uh, maybe not the best, but it's it's <laughs> it's worth a watch. It's it's definitely entertaining. And for men's basketball, they've had already three games on ESPN, and they have another one in a couple of days on Wednesday night. It's not a plug. It's just a fact. I mean, a junior college basketball team getting major national recognition here locally in Tallahassee, uh, definitely worth a look. And, well, and this is a little off track, but screw it. Uh, one of our first memories as a duo was um, Colin – uh, a baseball game. It was like 32 degrees that morning. We're both wearing these huge coats. Uh, we're sitting on these metal bleachers. Our feet are freezing. Uh, I believe TCC ended up winning. I think uh, they did. Or Fire Rod, I believe, was uh, or Fire Rod. I forget. Firevid. Firevid. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, I believe he he threw like seven innings. I mean, he, he had a great game if I remember that correctly. But uh, you know, if you're in the area, um, TCC basketball or excuse me, baseball and basketball are. Uh, Pretty stellar programs. TCC men's baseball, or TCC baseball, I should say, they got a brand new head coach, Brian Henry. You may know him. He was the pitching coach at FAMU previously. He's mm. a Tallahassee guy. So uh, Mike McLeod, who is TCC's only baseball coach in their program's history, he retired last year, and they've got an, another Tallahassee guy. So all kinds of great local sports narratives going around. 
and we'll keep it rolling as we we finally dive into the meat of the show. Again, want to give an, another quick mention to the phone number to call in, 850-644-1837, FSU men's, women's basketball. You want to talk about it, give us a call. Uh, but men's basketball, uh, if you want to say they're keeping their head above water, they're keeping it trucking along, they're 7-13 and now on the season after a 2-0 and week. They're 5-4 and in ACC play. And before we dive into the games, guys, I want to just talk about this. How about FSU picking themselves off the mat after an 0-2 week a couple weeks ago, losses to Wake Forest and Virginia, and the team looked bad. They were getting, you know, out-rebounded. It seemed like the shots were going well to the other team. FSU couldn't get anything to fall. We thought, you know, is this the point where FSU is going to pack it in? Is this going to be a bad rest of the season? They turn it around. They get two wins on the road, one at a really bad Notre Dame team, but another one at a really good pit team on Saturday. And so we'll start there. Just how much credit you give to Florida State for keeping the fight alive? Well, I'll tell you what. Um, any team, it's easy for any team to pack it in, like you said. It's easy for any team to, you know, kind of lay down and uh, just kind of let the season go by the wayside, kind of worry more about yourself and more worry more about, you know, uh, being a selfish player and getting your own stats and, and what have you. But um, this Florida State team has not done that. Um, and you can we can talk about, you know, Coach Hamilton um, and whether his offensive and defensive schemes are, you know, what is needed for the squad. But you can't degrade the culture that he's built. No matter what uh, happens to Coach Hamilton, no matter what um, happens throughout the rest of the season, um, the culture that has been built at Florida State basketball is – I probably argue second to none yeah and it's very great to see that florida state was able to go uh have success this week on the road uh this is a team that has performed very well at the tuck and subpar on the road and you know they were able to get that done last week which uh certainly building off what jackson said that's that's one way to keep trucking and keep going you know they could start thinking about next year they could start thinking about you know other options of how they want to go about business this year but no they're 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 moving and the starting five and the guys off the bench are doing their job that's a good call we'll start with the game wednesday night in south bend indiana big double digit win 84 to 71 win over notre dame to sweep the season series they won the game in tallahassee just a couple days before christmas it was a one-point victory they beat notre dame on the road as well Florida State opened the game on a 13 to nothing run, so really came out hot. Uh, they also led at uh, one point 32 to eight, so they were really in control of this game. But it did go very much back and forth. Uh, the the Fighting Irish had a 21 to seven run to close out the first half to bring it a little bit closer, and had a 16 to one run in the second half. So we can talk about that because it happened on Saturday against Pitt as well. Florida State having really good spurts of greatness, and then other times where. Uh, they're letting the the opposition run ramshot. I guess we can hit that first. Well, we know that Florida State is definitely a transition team, definitely a full court team. They're they're not going to kill you. Um, you know, within those first, I don't know the math in my head, forty eight feet, I guess ninety four, whatever. I, we're we're English majors. Uh, we'll figure it out. Uh, Jack, uh, Jack's our producer. He might be able to help us with. He'll that. pass but, us a note. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How how long is half of a basketball court? But um, I will say. Um, Florida State is definitely a very streaky team when it when it comes to, you know, trying to to you know, make some sort of move inside of a game. And so when you when you when you look at that Virginia game a couple weeks ago, um it looked like they were they were starting to inch back in, they were starting to inch back in and Virginia would just stop it. Um 
And so I think if you're a Florida State fan, you'd like to see some more consistent play. You'd like to see maybe some more half-court press or full-court presses. You'd like to see maybe um, a squad that plays, you know, like I, not to be redundant, but just more consistently, um, you know, getting better on rotations on defense, uh, playing some more, some more set plays, uh, kind of relying on the ebbs and flows of the game naturally rather than kind of playing the game that you want to play. I think that's what uh, Florida State uh, could really use. And for a Noel team that's good playing fast, they were playing a Notre Dame team that was really slow. I think when you when you talk about a college basketball team that has fifth and sixth year seniors, the the words the connotations associated with it is oh they're just you know very experienced, uh, veteran, crafty players. In this case, maybe for the first time in a college sport, I would say Notre Dame just looked old. I mean, I know they're they're in their 20s, but they look slow. They they weren't really moving around really well, at least compared to a Florida State team, and it kind of just seemed like the Knolls, for a long stretch of the game, kind of ran them out of the gym. So much so, not that this was the one game that broke the, the camel's back necessarily, but Mike Bray, the longtime head coach of Notre Dame, uh, announced he's going to retire after this season. He's going to call it a career, at least at Notre Dame. So for that to come out the day after... Uh, the Florida State game was was pretty interesting for that to to be the case. And and speaking of old, um, oh, <laughs> long time V eighty nine veteran Sebastian Angel Riano AARP member just walked in. Sebastian, how you doing, man? I just came here to pay my respects to Mike Bray actually specifically because yeah. I was at a legendary game in Florida State history. Austin Face, right? Austin Face. Yeah. Uh, we know it here at, at the station as Austin Face, but that was when a Florida State edged out Notre Dame here at home by a point that was in 2019, I believe, mm-hmm. um, where there, where uh, Mike Bray very distinctly felt that there was not a call where there should have been in the dying seconds of the game uh, when his center got stuffed, I believe, taking up that shot. And he stormed out of uh, the press conference that night yelling, like actively shouting, we're in the League 2, we're in the League 2, like very much insinuating that, you know, Florida State was one of the in guys in the ACC yeah. when it came to <laughs> basketball. Um, I guess he took uh, the new, I, I think that actually predates the New Bloods, like, slogan. Yeah. Because that really came about after um, the the canceled 2020 run. That was, Well, mm-hmm. actually we were kind of in the thick of it back then, but uh, that's your uh, designated, hey, back in my day, yeah. uh, for, for y'all there. Um, we appreciate it, Sebastian. Yeah. No worries. Anytime. It's a, it's a good note. We'll have kind of a rotating uh, chair here. The Our pr- producer of the show, Jack Oliara, will be coming in at some point to talk about uh, FSU women's basketball now that he's working uh, as an SID doing some some Seminoles.com work. He's He knows the team better than just about anyone. But that was Sebastian. You just heard from there about, about Mike Bray and kind of a thanks for the memories type situation the last time at least – for now, we'll, uh, they'll face each other. And so back to, to the game on Wednesday, all Florida State starters had double-digit scoring, all had at least 10 points. That was a good sign to see everyone involved. Darren Green, who had a great week, started it off with a 20-point performance, went four from eight from three to kind of get things started off, like I said, and, and hit maybe his best week of the year uh, maybe in his time at Florida State. Matthew Cleveland with his eighth straight double-double, uh, 14 points and 16 rebounds. That tied the Reggie Royals mark 52 years ago, uh, and it ended at eight games because he did not continue it against Pitt on Saturday. But still, eight straight double-doubles for Matthew Cleveland, an outstanding mark. He's in consideration for ACC Player of the Year this season. If Florida State had a better record, I think even more so. Uh, but either way, a great player. Florida State has a team 51% from the field, 7 of 18 from three, 
They won the rebounding battle by 13, and they even had six blocks, and half of those belonged to Matthew Cleveland. And so that closes out uh, the win on Wednesday over Notre Dame. And another win for Florida State men's basketball. They went on the road up to Pittsburgh, 71-64 the Knowles win. Pitt was favored by seven in that in that game. They're they're known as I mean they're they're a sleeping giant in college basketball, uh, in kind of an historic program. They had the arena rocking uh, pretty much all game. They've got a lot of veteran players, transfer players from around the country. They're a good squad. They were 13 and six heading in. They're a bubble team in the NCAA tournament. And we when we had kind of uh, previewed the game on last week's show, we we're like, oh, you got to go up to Pitt and play them. That's not a good sign. And so for the Knowles to end up getting that win. Uh, it was huge. Pitt opened the game, by the way, up 15 to five, just five minutes into the ball game, and then Florida State had a 20 to two run, continuing that kind of this inconsistency. Uh, they were up as much as you know to 20, 25 to 17, lead midway through the first half. It was back and forth all the way through. Both teams had a double digit lead at one point during the contest, and I want to start here. Darren Green, 24 points. That's uh, his season high in conference play. He was 5 of 8 from beyond the three-point line. It seemed like whenever things were down and out, Darren Green had a response for the Garnet and Gold. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at the overall team uh, three-point percentage, they were you know 10 of 20, uh, 50% uh, for you fellow English majors listening. Um, I, I don't remember the last time Florida State ever uh, shot 50%. From three, I don't know if they've done it all season. I don't think they will do it the rest of the season. Um, but to be able to come up clutch like that in that moment um, is an absolute. Uh, you, you need it. You need it as a team. They're, they're, in order for a team to kind of build on these culture wins, in order to, to achieve these culture wins, they have to have some kind of spark. And Darren Green uh, definitely can be that guy. Green is providing the spark. Uh, <clears throat> all those. Uh, the three-point shooting you see from him is uh, a lot. To, it's a lot to ask for uh, f- from the previous games this season. You know, the Knowles not you know really get being cohesive, being that cohesive unit that they used to be a couple years ago. But having Darren Green Jr. to be able to bail you out a few few points and be able to catch you back up in the ball game, hitting the three-point shots, uh, putting up you know leading the team in scoring some games, uh, being the new guy on the team coming from UCF and Orlando. And now he's making a name for himself in Tallahassee. It's good to see. Florida State, as a team, had five steals and four blocks in the game. They were playing a lot in transition. Jackson mentioned earlier that's what this team does best when they can run that full-court offense, getting Pitt out of sync. Pitt, also a team that shoots the three really well uh, on the season, only went 7 of 28. And so for Florida State to, to bury 10 of, of 23-point shots in the game on the other side uh, was huge in, in basically stealing a major ACC game on the road. Now, looking at the roster this week, Baba Miller, the freshman phenom, you could say, the 6'11 forward from Spain, had the 16-game suspension, did not even suit up for a game until a couple of weeks ago. Had tonsillitis just two weeks ago on a Saturday, didn't play against Virginia. We didn't know how long he was going to be out. We had speculated weeks, however long it took. He was back on Wednesday against Notre Dame and played on Saturday against Pitt as well. Had 18 minutes against Notre Dame, 4 points and 6 boards. And against Pitt, 13 minutes, 5 points and 3 boards with his first made 3-point shot of the week. I mean, I want to hear your guys' thoughts, and we welcome in now our producer of the show, Jack Oliaro, into the booth with us. But 
throwing this out to everybody. I mean, Bob Miller, we talked about him so much even when he wasn't eligible to play because so much about the season was going to come down to what he could do. Yeah, Baba's really, uh, you know, he's doing what he can. It's going to be a little slow growing. It's going to be some slow sort of pain that, you know, Seminole fans, if they're expecting him to just kind of just steal the show and, you know, guide them to a tournament run or something like that, that is highly unrealistic. But he's doing what he can. You mentioned uh, that he, you know, he made it. He made his three, and we've heard skirmishes that, you know, before games, you know, he's he's pretty good from the corner. Um, so he's going to be a guy that you just hope that, it, at least from my side, the conflict is you don't want him to catch fire too well to where the NBA scouts are lurking, but also at the same time, you want you definitely want him to come back and he'd be a more prolific player. You kind of make that point, and it makes me think of Matthew Cleveland a little bit. Uh, the double-double consistency with him makes you feel like, okay, Mr. Cleveland, you're doing really good for us, but you know we want you to play with us next year. You want, we want you to continue to focus on being a seminal great and... That's the only thing. That's the only really interference with the uh, NCAA and NBA is, you know, sometimes when a player for your team starts doing really good, it's kind of like, oh, no, they're building draft stock. Yeah, yeah he's he moves well, very well for a guy that's six foot 11, uh, but starting to show more in the post, really on both sides of the ball. We saw him with an, a couple of nice post moves offensively against Notre Dame and, and has kind of turned into a little bit of a rim protector. We'll see 16 rebounds. his arc. Yeah, so... Also, the big men have kind of had a shuffle now with Baba Miller back as well, but the five spot. This past week, you know, combining the two games, Naheem McLeod played only 10 minutes. Kim Korn played 54 minutes in those two games. McLeod with only two points and two boards on the week. Korn with 14 points and seven rebounds. And I think uh, the coaching staff seeing more in Kim Korn, the young freshman, uh, investing in him, giving him more playing time to see if he'll reach more of a ceiling Versus a guy like Nahima Cloud, who I think we've lamented enough, but it's just I think he, even at seven foot four, he's a really tall body, but doesn't do a whole lot. He got eaten up really good by some some talented bigs that Florida State played earlier in the year, and and uh, but that's where the roster is right now. I think uh, Bob Miller hasn't played more than eighteen minutes in a game. I think by season's end, they're hoping to change that. I don't know if he'll play thirty five minutes, but certainly more than eighteen. Uh, and and the the ceiling of the entire team I think is a little bit higher. But as of right now, the team is five and four in ACC play, three games back of first place. They'll play number twenty Miami and number twenty four Clemson this week. Clemson is first place in the conference, eight and one in conference play. Miami six and three in ACC play. So a couple of big tests against ranked teams at home in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Start off talking about the Miami game. It's tomorrow night. In the Tucker Center at 7 p.m. on ESPNU on television, Miami started 13-1. and They were ranked as high as number 12. Since then, they've gone just 3-3 three and three with losses to Georgia Tech, who's at the bottom of the conference, NC State, who's near them in the cellar, and lost to Duke as well over that stretch. They've got a 6-7 uh, uh, Norchad Omier. He averages 14 points, 10 rebounds a game, a walking double-double. Florida State has struggled to defend those type of players, so he's a, a name to watch. And then for Clemson on Saturday afternoon at 5 p.m., it'll be on the ACC Network. Clemson 16-4 and this year, ranked number 24. They lost by 10 at Wake Forest last week, which caused them to slide in the rankings a little bit. They're a veteran team. Their starting lineup has, has three seniors and two juniors, so they're a team that's been together for a while. They shoot the three ball really well. Kind of what gave me the idea of looking at this team kind of the idea of Notre Dame. A lot of players that have been there for a while and shoot well 
but certainly they've won a lot more ball games um, than Notre Dame has. So how do we feel? Two ranked teams, but they're at home, and Florida State has been playing well. How do we think this team can do this week? Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, if you're within the locker room of Florida State, you're wondering how they feel. Um, two great big wins, one on the or both on the road against you know pretty solid ACC squads. Obviously, you know Notre Dame hasn't been great in conference play, but um, you know we look at their record and they were nine and nine before the start of that game. So it's not like you know they were uh, just this awful awful team. Um, to go two on the road in the ACC, no matter who you're playing, is a big deal. So um, you like to think that Florida State will have some sort of confidence going into the tuck this week, both games at home, both against rivals. You know uh, there's going to be some a lot more attendance than usual for you know a, a Tuesday game and you know for a Saturday game, you think a lot more people are going to show up for that as well. So um, I think right now this basketball team has a win at their sales. In terms of um, you know how I, how I can see this game going, it's it's got to Florida State's got to play with high intensity to start, and um, you know sort of go from there because when they've you know gotten up to good starts, they've generally kind of pummeled teams. They haven't lost it too often. Um, you know you could you saw it against Notre Dame getting out to a you know they had a tremendously going 32 and eight um, to start, and from there you almost want to play the game of um, you know trying to keep the lead and not trying to. I wouldn't trust this Florida State, Florida State team playing too far from behind, especially with guys like Isaiah Wong, and um, who's kind of just can really just throw down and make any shot that you really would like to. So, um, yeah, I, I feel a little bit better about that Clemson game, actually, in terms of Florida State, because I know they have that streak going against Miami, but this Miami team, I know their conference record ain't much to suggest, but I think that they got something going there. Game against Miami tomorrow will be a big one. That always, every time they play, they talk about that's where Leonard Hamilton really began his head coaching career. Now at Florida State, it's a back and forth, uh, you know, backroom brawl. It seems like every time those two teams get in a gym. And tomorrow night at the Tuck, that'll be a good one to check out. Want to transition over now to to FSU women's basketball? They're eighteen and four. They're seven and two in the ACC. Just a game back or half a game back of first place. And guys, they're finally ranked number 24 Woo! this week. They had a plus 46 point differential last week against two bottom five ACC teams. But either way, Florida State is in that top 25. Yeah, and it's, I mean, we're kind of echoing what everyone's been saying, but it's, it's deserved. They're 18 and four, have more than halfway through the ACC season and have the be, one of the best records. It's, it's a little bit criminal that they've been left out thus far, but, you know, and you could even argue that 24 is not good enough, but. We're going to allude to this later, but uh, they got quite a test to really keep their ranking this weekend. They do. We'll start with uh, their previous week. They had a 77-68 to win on the road at Virginia. Virginia was 10-1 and at home, so it was, to some regard, a tough place to play to go up and beat them there. Uh, in only 28 minutes, a great game for Michaela Timpson. 14 points, 10 rebounds, 6 blocks really getting involved. Virginia led by as many as 13 points at one time in the game. Florida State was down 10 to begin the fourth quarter, but they went on a 27-8 run in the fourth quarter to close out the game. That was a big come-from-behind victory that we haven't seen too much of. And then a game on Sunday, yesterday afternoon, where Florida State was in control the whole way through, 74-37, to a win over Pitt, who is now 0-8 in conference play. This is a hard number to even believe. Pitt was under 16% as a team from the field, just 12 of 76 
They were four for 26 from three. Latson and Bajetti both had 19 points, tied for the team lead. No one played more than 27 minutes. Coach Wyckoff got to spread the love around, got everyone involved. I think Florida State, the women's team, they've got a, a pretty good bench. They can really shoot the ball. And uh, Jack will give you the floor because this is a – you write about this team for Seminoles.com. You know the team well. Tell us more. Yeah, so I think the Virginia game was um, kind of – it's going to be going to be an underrated, like uh, uh, underrated like surprising win for them because they found a way to win the game where they were not convincing the better team through the first three quarters. You know, they played – it brought me back to that Louisville game they played a few weeks ago. The Knowles were like the better team through three quarters. But then Louisville just put just put a 31 burger on them in the fourth, and then and it was a frustrating loss because there was a lack of defensive pressure, and that's been cleaned up since that point. In um, that game, there were you know the two were about even, but you know like you said, uh, Cavs had like a 17-1 run in the third, and then FSU responded 18-0 run, a lot of streaks, but ultimately you know Sarah Bajetti has really found her offensive stride. She was you know she's been talked about as a defensive like you know. Not mastermind, but a very good defensive player. And then now she's combining it, averaging uh, almost 20 points a game in the past month. So, you know, her along with K.K. Timpson, um, she's just, you know, she's a stat machine. She can, she had a, I believe, a huge streak going for double-doubles and all that. And, you know, Lats had 15 points, and that's relatively quiet for her. And that's testament to what she can be. And in regards to the Pitt game, there's not too much that really went on there other than that. You know, they can beat a conference team pretty well. And they already did that against George Tech. So I don't think Ladson had a great week of basketball, yet she still had 34 points. So that kind of speaks to her volume as, you know, this may be a little bit controversial, but I think she's one of the best athletes that is in the athletics uh, that is it being advertised at the moment. Um, you know, along with those three, Amaria Gordon, Aaron Howard, they've been steady hands on both sides of the ball. And like people like Jazz Massengill and Mariana Venezuela are providing terrific minutes and great scoring presence for them. So... This team does deserve your attention, and, uh, yeah, next week's going to be pretty big. Schedule is not too kind to Florida State. They finally get their their first ranking. They they get their feet under them in a big way, and then they're going to have their biggest test of the season. On Thursday, they're on the road at number 7 Notre Dame, one of the blue bloods, again, of women's college basketball. They're 16-2 and this year, 7-1 and in the ACC. Interesting, you look at common opponents. Notre Dame lost to UNC, a team that Florida State beat in Chapel Hill, um, but Notre Dame beat UConn by 14, a team that Florida State really struggled with. So you kind of just say uh, kind of a toss-up right there. And then on Sunday, home against number 16, Duke. Duke is 17-2, and 7-1 in the ACC as well. They as well lost uh, by 10 to UNC. They lost to UConn as well. Uh, to just kind of give you an idea of where their seasons are at. So another big test for Florida State to put themselves on the map in a major way. So that's it for Florida State basketball uh, talk this week. So it'll be another couple weeks before we even get into the spring sports. Uh, I think we'll preview uh, baseball and softball in in two or three weeks down the line. And until then, it'll be all Florida State basketball talk, but really looking forward to the baseball and softball uh, getting underway, but for the remainder of the show, what we want to do about it is talk about the big one of the biggest weeks in football, certainly maybe the biggest weekend in the NFL that there is all season, which is the divisional round of the playoffs. And again, you can call us at 850-644-1837 to talk about it. But we'll start with the Saturday afternoon game that was played in Kansas City. The Chiefs beat the Jaguars 27-20. to 
Uh, Patrick Mahomes injures his ankle late in the first quarter. He comes in and out of the game. The backup, Chad Henney, he led a 98-yard touchdown drive. That was a Chiefs playoff record, the backup quarterback getting it done. But Mahomes does come in. He was hobbling, stumbling around. I mean, he couldn't even hand the ball off without being in pain. And uh, certainly that puts his uh, eligibility to play next week certainly in jeopardy. But he, he gutted it through uh, against that game. The only points in the third quarter was a Chiefs field goal to go up 20-10, to 10, and then they really went back and forth in the final 15. Jamal Agnew, who had two huge, gigantic returns for Jacksonville, might not have been in the game if not for his efforts on special teams, but a, an injury to Christian Kirk forced him to play wide receiver towards the end. He fumbles the ball at the Kansas City six-yard line with the Jaguars down 10 and just five and a half minutes left. And that was pretty much all she wrote. Jacksonville could have had a chance to really make things interesting, but instead they'll have to settle for uh, a one-possession loss, but really putting themselves on the map in a big way, almost knocking off the Chiefs. Absolutely. And, you know, you can make the argument that, you know, after all three Florida teams have had their seasons end, uh, you can make that argument that the Jags, you're probably the most optimistic going forward. Um, you know, to be able to have a quarterback that can go into Kansas City, um, and really make it close. I mean, that. I mean, obviously it was a 10-point game, but um, the Jags shot themselves in the foot a decent amount of times. Um, but not only that, at, at halftime, I remember telling some of my friends while I was watching the game, the Jags deserve to be there. That was not a fluke. That, I mean, they, they are a good football club, um, and I think next year they have a really, really decent shot to win the division again. The Jaguars got stopped because of that Mahomes and Kelsey connection yet again on third down, on first down. It doesn't matter. Travis Kelsey as a tight end is so far, I mean, you could talk about the fantasy football numbers, sure, but Travis Kelsey as a tight end, it, I mean, there's no one you could really compare him to because he hit just his skill set as a tight end is so versatile. And, I mean, he's getting more receiving yards than some almost every wide receiver in the game right now. Uh, but the Jaguars will return next year, and they will return with a force. And Christian Kirk, as a receiver, did great. Zay Jones did great. And Trevor Lawrence is doing quite a job being the face of this franchise. Yeah, so kind of just as a retrospective here, like, you know, Doug Peterson, his first year at Philadelphia was a 7-9. and nine. The next year they were Super Bowl champions. So, you know, you didn't expect much from this Jacksonville team going in, but now you were telling me that they were a few plays away from making the AFC Championship. So... I think Trevor should get better next season with his personal development. They got a sneaky, like, pretty great rushing game along with, you know, they have decent pass protection, and they have pretty good pass and rush defense. Um, Indianapolis, in terms of, like, the division, Indianapolis is kind of an unknown quantity, and we got to see what they do with either drafts and front office decisions. Uh, and they need a Doug Pearson, like, turnaround to threaten. Houston's Houston. Tennessee should be their main rival because, you know, you expect them to get better, have a bounce-back year, so... I think the division's still up for grabs, um, but Jacksonville's certainly making their claim in, to the uh, AFC. Tell me how you guys feel about this. Just watching this game, I got the feel. It felt a lot like the Dolphins-Bills game a couple weeks ago. You had the Jaguars on the road, kind of a little bit outmatched in some regards versus a big AFC power. A lot of big drops in that the game was there in the hands. I mean... Christian Kirk was targeted 14 times, only had seven catches. So that's seven passes to him that were either dropped or miscommunication or whatever. And there was, I think, a, a big play early on in the first half that would have been a, a gigantic play to set them up. 
Instead, he yeah. drops would've it. Would have been like a 50-yard bomb. That would have would have put the Jags early, uh, probably on the Chiefs' 13-yard line. That Chris Collinsworth called an overthrow. Yeah, that was that was one of the worst calls of the weekend. And in a weekend where Tony Romo also calls a game, that's really saying something. <laughs> but another thing that reminded me about that Dolphins-Bills game was the Jaguars' strategy on defense. They loaded up the line. I mean, for, for radio, this may be a bit crude, but, I mean, balls to the walls defense for, for Jacksonville and that. They said, we don't care about the big play. Uh, we're going to line up and try and stuff you the best they can. It didn't work. Great, but you hold the Chiefs to just 27 points. Usually they give you a little bit more than that. And I, I was just kind of astonished at how aggressive the Jaguars were playing that, and I, I give them credit for it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, this was a, a defensive squad that, honestly, they got stops when they needed it late yeah. late in the game. Um, but uh, you, got, you just got to be optimistic about this Jags team. I, I think there was definitely some questions that were answered about Trevor Lawrence. Um you know, when they're sitting at three and seven, you're 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 kind of looking at him like he's almost like he's Zach Wilson. And I think now the the script has been flipped entirely. He's not up there, obviously, with the big three in the no. AFC with Burrow, Allen, and Mahomes. But he's almost at that second level. He, I think he's in it's that kind of that Tua realm. A little bit with yeah, Justin Herbert too. He's uh, I mean, he was a number one overall pick. They he was compared to John Elway. You know, coming out of college, out of Clemson. And the Jaguars, who had the number one overall pick for the second, or well, that was the first of two number one overall picks they had in a row. Uh, they tag Lawrence with it, and uh, just before we we move on, just take a little bit of closer look. I mean, what can we take maybe from a team building perspective from the Jaguars' quick return to prominence? I mean, Urban Meyer had run them into the ground. They were one of the most disaster franchises, basically in sports. Like I said, two straight number one picks. Then they get Doug Peterson, who had won a Super Bowl. They spent more free agency money than just about anyone in football. And their first season with this kind of new era ends in a loss in the divisional round. One of the quickest turnarounds I've seen in a long time. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of reminds you of that 1-15 to 10-6 uh, Dolphins squad way back, I believe it was like 07 to 09, you know, those those two years in succession. Um, but, like I said, I, you, you look at the three – Florida teams, right? I think I think the Dolphins had the highest ceiling, um, but were probably the most disappointing. I think the Bucks kind of did what they were supposed to do in terms of you know they got into the playoffs and it was kind of like well let's just see what Brady does. Um, but if you're a Jags fan, you have to be incredibly incredibly excited about the future. You're right about that. Yeah, they're going to be a fun team to watch for a long time. They're good on both sides of the ball. They got a lot of talent. Like I said, they spent almost $200 million over the terms of each respective contract on like the wide receiver tight end position alone, which that that is crazy, but it worked out in a big way. Christian Kirk got hurt in the game, but you got to imagine he'll be good for next year. And they've got some other nice weapons and a good running game uh, as well. Moving on to the other game that was played on Saturday, the blowout, we mentioned a little bit at the top of the show, the Philadelphia Eagles over the Giants by a score of 38-7. to This is the best way I can put this game in perspective to anyone that maybe didn't see the whole thing or maybe just a refresher to make you go, wow. The Giants, uh, they went three plays or less on four of their first four uh, four of their five first half drives, so either a three and out punt or an interception on the the second play of the drive, uh, on four of their first five first half drives. The Philadelphia Eagles 
scored touchdowns on four out of their five first half drives. And so it was a 28 nothing game at halftime. And that was it. I mean, you look at New York, Saquon Barkley's touches were cut in half from their win over the Vikings inexplicably. He had 22 touches against Minnesota, only 11 against Philadelphia. So it seemed they were doomed almost from the start. And Philadelphia able to protect Jalen Hurts going into Championship Sunday, which was huge for them, not just to win the game, but to run away and be able to take it easy. Philly runs 44 times for 270 yards and three scores on the ground. This was complete domination all around by Philadelphia. And you know what, William? They established the running game. That's now, what everyone wants that, their team yeah, to do. Absolutely. But um, this is just an Eagles team that, you know, there were some questions with, you know, would Hurts be in his same rhythm after being hurt for a while? No pun intended. Um, but I'm, I'm picking the Eagles. I'm picking the Eagles next week uh, against, you know, the, the rookie Brock Purdy going um, into, into Philly, in, into the link. Um, this is an Eagles team that just all around, when they when they need defense, they give you defense. When they need offense, they give you offense. Um, I'm picking the Eagles. I'm gonna I'm gonna go Eagles by, I'm gonna go Eagles by six, six or more. Yeah, that would be big. So for Phil, uh, well, we've talked enough about Philly. Want to look a little bit in New York because this is the last chance they'll really get a mention for a while. We had mentioned this after they beat Minnesota, and Minnesota won 13 games, but so many by one possession. And we knew the Vikings weren't due for greatness, but I don't think we expected them to exit as early as they did. And there was a lot of talk about Daniel Jones, the, the Giants quarterback, who had the best game of his career against Minnesota. And the entire Giants team lays an egg. I mean, they didn't have the receiver talent. They didn't have – they shouldn't have been there, but because of really good coaching and good situational football, they got to the divisional round. Um, but looking back two weeks ago, the Giants winning, is that more an, an indictment of, of the Minnesota Vikings than it was the Giants being good? Well, the well, Vikings weren't playing at 1 p.m., so I think that has to be taken into true. account. So. <laughs> well, I will say uh, the NFL, the margin of error in the NFL is so slim. And so, um, you know, it's not – crazy uh to see that the talent level of a five and i I gotta do the different math now now that it's 17 games um a five and 12 team and a 12 and five uh team are two completely or excuse me let me rephrase that the difference between a five and 12 team and a 12 and five team are not isn't that great and so um it's it's i'm not surprised you think about those past cowboys teams that went 13 and 3 and then you know they lay egg in the playoffs and you can argue oh well that's just the cowboys well you can i that's fair but um what i will say is that it's not uncommon to see uh an nfl team do incredibly well in the playoffs and just lay or excuse me in the regular season just lay an egg in the playoffs like the vikings did um so i don't know were, were they frauds would you, would, no. you, would you call them? Yeah, I wouldn't call them frauds. But. I think they just ran into a buzzsaw yeah. in Philly. Yeah, I think that you could look at it that way. How could the Giants have kept this game more competitive? Like I said, only nine carries for Barkley. Their their fourth down calls were really soft, and they, they weren't willing to really go for it. Um, was this game even in reach, you think, if, if Dayball and company had played it differently? I think if they could have, you know, if, you look at the Jags, they played slightly more aggressive to the Chiefs, and you saw it, how they paid, and... I think Giants were going on the on the scheme of we will play conservative against a team who could really punish us if we go aggressive. However, that backfired on them twofold. They were conservative and got beaten pretty badly. So that's that's more of an approach thing, and obviously the schematics involved in that are probably more advanced than any of us can 
imagine, but that's kind of the, uh, the way you can boil it down to, that there was just a failure on that side of the ball. The Giants have a lot of things to decide on. They have to decide if Daniel Jones is their quarterback. They have to decide if they want to give a star running back a second contract, which is kind of taboo in today's NFL. There's a lot of things for them to, to choose, but in year one of Brian Dable, they win nine games, get into the playoffs, win a playoff game. Um, and then for, for the Eagles to give them their flowers one last time, they beat a team three times in a season, which is really hard to do. They beat the Giants 3-0 and against New York this year, and they advanced to championship Sunday. Moving to yesterday's NFL games, this was maybe the biggest shocker. I think we were split on, on who was going to win this game between the Bengals and the Bills, and it was Cincinnati going up to Buffalo in the snow and winning 27-10. to The Bills looked, I mean, outmatched. Uh, you look at Cincinnati started the game really hot. They went 2-for-2 two two on their first two drives, converting them for touchdowns. The Bills go 3-and out on their first two uh, Josh Allen missed uh, a, a deep shot to Stephon Diggs that kind of set the stage for uh, more miscommunication between those two players. The Bengals, really balanced attack. They are one of the most balanced teams, if not the most balanced team in the league. Really good defense, but on offense, threw it 36 times, ran it 34 times, mistake-free football. The Bills, like the, it's been all season, couldn't run the ball. Allen struggled. Like I said, Stephon Dix was targeted 10 times, only caught four passes for 35 yards. And, uh, I mean, people joke about, you know, the NFL script writers and, you know, is it fake or not? I think we kind of have our fun with it. But it seemed like everything with Buffalo, with the heartbreaking finish to their season last year, to, I mean, multiple games getting moved around for, for a natural, you know, weather with the snow and the blizzards. And then, of course, the DeMar Hamlin situation at the end of the year all these things going on it seemed like the the bills were destined for greatness and they don't even get out of the divisional round at home they get knocked off by the Bengals. and you know this was a bills team that i you know really underperformed against miami um because miami's defense was you know just awful all year really um not to go off on a tangent but um mahomes didn't necessarily play great in the snow I kind of a little surprising, you know, especially since he came from Wyoming. Uh, Joe Burrow was just Joe Cool. I mean, he was that guy. He was him. And so um, when I remember last year, William, we were talking about uh, even though the Bengals went to the Super Bowl long term, was Jamar Chase the right choice? Over um, Panay Sewell. Over Panay Sewell. And I think uh, the Bengals did a good enough job of repairing the offensive line um, they didn't want to miss out on a generational talent like Chase. I think um, that Jerry has reached a verdict. I think it was the right call. And um, whether the Bengals get back to the Super Bowl or not, um, you know they they have a very great young core, all on rookie deals. Not all of them, of course, but you know people in like Burrow and, and Chase on rookie deals. So um, it will be. It will be interesting for what the Bengals do in the future. I think it's also interesting because, you know, you mentioned that, uh, you know, the Bengals offensive line, they really won the game. They really won, not the game, but they won the battle between the Bills defensive line. And, you know, the Bills have been, defense has been a little shaky, especially in the front uh, seven since uh, Von Miller's injury. But uh, Cincinnati, I believe, had three injuries on the offensive line, starting offensive line, and were pretty much able to manhandle them and, you know, allow the offense to get going. So I think that really speaks to what, Cincinnati uh, has overcome in these past two years. And, yeah, it's the Joe Burrow effect. 
piggybacking on what William said, very balanced team, well-rounded, very extremely well-rounded. I just wanted to point out a few key players on offense that stepped up throughout the year. Hayden Hurst, a tight end that came out of nowhere and performed. Um, Tyler Boyd, another good wide receiver. T. Higgins proved that he could be a wide receiver one on about half other half of the other NFL teams. Um, if it's not Joe Mixon out there, you know that Samaj P. Ryan will be all right. And Joe Burrow knows how to mix his weapons around very well. Um, and like you said, he's the modern day Joe. Cool. He's pretty cool himself. Yeah, all the jo- uh, the jokes, the headlines that could be taken out of that. Our generation's Joe Cool, but going into the snow and knocking off, you know, one of the most notable cold weather teams in the NFL. That was that was pretty cool to see. Uh, one thing I want to just bring up because it's worth mentioning: the offense or the offensive coordinator position, however you want to phrase it, for Buffalo. Is it a problem? I mean, because Sean McDermott, the head coach, you could point fingers at him, but he's a defensive guy. And, you know, obviously the defense could have played better, but one of the most dynamic offenses in the NFL scored 10 points in their elimination. They can't run the ball. They didn't even pretend to try to run the ball all season long. It seems like there's a flaw in their approach and and having Josh Allen take these huge deep shots, uh, you know, 10 times a game and all this. uh, Is it worth looking into for Buffalo, maybe a change in philosophy? Yeah, and I mean, I don't know if you if you need to change philosophy all the way at the top in terms of the head coaching position, because um, you know McDermott has proven to be a pretty solid guy on defense. Obviously, you know they give it twenty seven, but like you said, it's to a pretty solid offense um, in ter- with with Joe Burrow in the snow. Um, but you know they lose Brian Dable, but you think about it, they still didn't make the you know the the Super Bowl under Brian Dable. So it's you know it, is it a is it a management thing with McDermott? Is it something that, you know, like you said, does it need a change of pace, uh, a new vision, a new leadership? Does it need to be offensive from the very top? Um, I think it's a very legitimate question. I think McDermott definitely deserves one more year. If he doesn't make the playoffs, they're definitely out next year. If he doesn't make the wild card, they're definitely out. And if you could maybe argue if they don't make the divisional, they're definitely out. The AFC East is going to be tough. It is. What's interesting about the Bills' offensive coaching staff is it's they're all highly touted guys. Their offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey, the day before the game had an interview to be the next head coach of the Carolina Panthers. He may very well end up getting that job. We don't know. And their quarterback coach, Joe Brady, was the guy so highly, so highly sought after after uh, really navigating that 2019 LSU offense that set all those records. So there's an offensive think tank up there in Buffalo, but it just, like I said, hasn't amounted to much. What was interesting under Dayball, yes, they lost in the divisional round in Kansas City in that wacky overtime game, but that was one of the best games of Josh Allen's career. So certainly they didn't lose that because of him. But this this season, you would certainly say the offense let the season down and was the reason why they didn't advance. But that's a story to keep our eyes on to see what the Bills are going to do. The pressure is on in a major way. I know Von Miller got hurt you know, towards the end of the season, and, and he was supposed to be a game-changer for them. But it, I don't think uh, in a 17-point loss that Von Miller was going to make the difference in a ball game like this. And the Bills were the Super Bowl favorites before the season began, so they're going to be have the most pressure of maybe any team in the NFL. Speaking of teams with a lot of pressure on them, the Dallas Cowboys eliminated yesterday as well. They went to San Francisco, and the 49ers beat them 19-12. to 
It was a slow game. 19 total drives combined both teams. Eight of the 19 ended in a punt. So, I mean, it was kind of a, another brawl. Two hard-nosed defenses really going at it. The, the run games, both teams like to run the ball, but it was, it was fierce all around. Both teams running for just three and a half yards to carry. And Dak Prescott, who it almost seemed like he was able to get the monkey off his back in Tampa a couple weeks ago having a, a playoff quarterback performance for the ages, really comes into San Francisco and struggles. Two interceptions, but was really kind of telegraphing his passes all night long. The defense read him like a book. Offense only scores 12 points, and now the Cowboys are done for the year. Does Dak come back? That's the real question. Um, Dak you know, back. Sorry? I would say Dak back. Dak back? Um, here's the thing. Uh, it wasn't the kicker. That was the problem in in Levi's Stadium for the Cowboys. It was the quarterback, and uh, I, I forget who, who tweeted that. Oh, it was Greeny, I believe. Uh, Mike Greenberg tweeted that last night. And he's not wrong. Um, he's making $40 million a year. He needs to be held to a higher standard. And, I, I mean, I think you know people in the media are doing that, but um, – if if I am Jerry Jones, I think I'm moving on from from Dak Prescott. Uh, I think it's it's time to, you know, sort of set this 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 pro that program that franchise into a new direction. Um, he just hasn't been that guy. Yeah, the 49ers didn't you know roll over the Cowboys. You know, they, the defense has kept this game in check. But Jackson, I I respect the Eagles winning the Super Bowl for you, but I have to disagree. They won't even make it because the 49ers are going to go all the way to the top. They're going to have a great story with Brock Purdy, and this offense is so potent. Uh, Devo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, um, everybody involved, George Kittle. It's just it's there's too much going on there, and the defense has been too consistent all year, especially since the halfway point in the season. Ever since McCaffrey got there, everything's been working out. Shanahan's doing a great job. I don't know. I just I think the 49ers are just too powerful at the moment. I also want to add in uh, George Kittle there, who arguably we were talking about um, we were talking about the Chiefs in a moment. I think he has the same amount of impact as Travis Kelsey does in most respects. Um, just didn't have that same type of game. All of his were like scrappy, um, you know, few receptions. But when he did, it was it would almost flip the field for the Niners. And while they didn't convert too many, you know, obviously didn't score too many points. And Brock Purdy played far from his one of his best games, but it was just enough. And I think when the Niners are rolling the offense, like like those two, if there is a Super Bowl where they two or those two meet up, those that would be the ultimate tight end game. I think. Oh that man, would, you're definitely right. They That'd both a, they a, both played great, but they much differently done. Kelsey was targeted 17 times against Jacksonville. He's caught, essentially a wide receiver. He caught almost all of those 17 targets, so 15 catches, I believe. George Kittle caught five passes, but 495 yards. But their total yardage was almost the same. So those those deep shots down the field to Kittle, and I think he went up and with one hand to reel one of them mm-hmm. in. I think that long 31 yard grab that he had whereas Kelsey it's like third and four and it's you know Kelsey near the sideline for a first down and Kittle is a big red zone target himself yeah, yeah for sure and he yeah he had a couple of those I think that the touchdown from Chad Henney went to to Mr. Kelsey but Kittle's a weapon obviously the midseason trade for Christian McCaffrey is a big deal uh, Purdy didn't play great but he hasn't really made a mistake he's won every game that he's played as a starter in, in the NFL and uh, to tie a bow Kind of on the Dak Prescott thing. He's got a lot of guaranteed money. Even if they traded him, I think they would be on hook for some of the money. 
he makes $40 million a year. That was, if you take the eight quarterbacks that played on divisional round weekend, that 40 mil is third amongst the eight. Obviously, you would rather have Mahomes, who makes 45 a year. Obviously, you'd rather have Allen, who makes 43 a year. But I'm just throwing this out there. Who would you rather have, Prescott for 40 a year or Trevor Lawrence on a rookie deal? That's close. Obviously, you have, you know, Patrick, or excuse me, you have uh, Dak Prescott that has a lot more experience, and he's, you've shown that he can be very good in moments, but um, for, for the money, for the deal, you got to go with Trevor Lawrence. Would you rather have Prescott for 40 a year or Jalen Hurts on a rookie deal? <laughs> Jalen Hurts plays efficient, he plays efficient football. That's something that can't be said for Dak this past couple seasons. Yes, Jalen Hurts. Would you rather have Prescott for 40 a year or Daniel Jones on a rookie deal. Okay, I think this is where we start to maybe think about this a little bit further. But <laughs> but but the point is that the eight quarterbacks that played on divisional round weekend, he's maybe what the fifth best out of those eight. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he makes forty million a year. Mm-hmm. That's that's the point that I'm making is that they they put all this money into him. Jerry Jones thought he had the guy and he gave him the money to back it up. But when you lay a stinker like this in a game like that where, you know, he needed to play well, the, the Cowboys' defense is great. They've got the pieces on offense to get it done, but he just didn't. I mean, shout-out to Jerry Maguire, man, you know? <laughs> I mean, he, he was, getting, a do- he was get, getting it done for Mr. Prescott. Does uh, Dallas beating Tampa Bay, does that make Dallas have a – is this a successful season for Dallas? Is this like a big stepping stone for them, or is this just the same old – they they got an annoying record monkey off their back. Uh, otherwise, though, I've I've seen the clips. People are still throwing TVs in driveways. So what has changed? But still, you know, they get the the road playoff win streak. At, you know, they finally ended that. But they still haven't made a conference championship game. You know, set in how many thirty forty years before so, Jalen Hurts was born. Right. So that I think still remains is that winning on wild card weekend especially in today's NFL means nothing you especially got when there's seven teams on in each conference exactly. in, in it now so and, and Brock, didn't... Brock Purdy now has more uh playoff wins than Tony Romo and Dak Prescott oh Ooh. my oh. gosh oh. oh that is insane that's insane we got a, a couple minutes want to make some some quick picks here for championship Sunday the lines as of right now they're pretty close we'll start with the NFC the 49ers go cross-country to play the Eagles in Philadelphia. Philly's favored by two and a half. Who do we have to go to the Super Bowl? I mean, I know you picked, but just give uh, us a quick Yeah, i got to go with the Eagles. You know, you have Brock Purdy going into the link. I think that's going to be a really tough environment for them. Um, you got to go Eagles. 49ers. I will also go Niners. I want to see this Purdy story go all the way. I, I, I tend to be with you, Jackson. I, I mean, I think it's a stupid take that they make on sports radio to say, well, they're due to lose. You know, the, the, the streak has been too long. They're just due. The ball's going to bounce the other way. I don't know it's it's as much that. But I think Brock Purdy, a guy who played at Iowa State, and he was Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick of the draft, he hasn't played on a stage like this. Philly is known for being that nasty environment. The Eagles' defense can back it up, too. And he didn't play all that well no. in the Cowboys game, and that's at home against, you know, I mean, a pretty stellar Cowboys defense. How do you expect him to play great all of a sudden against an Eagles defense at Philly. And, I mean, if they if they want to just turn around and hand to McCaffrey and Mitchell and just hope they can punch away at that, that Eagles defense, I don't think that's going to work incredibly well. But you watch the Cowboys load the box against him, and he struggled. He so did. So you expect the Eagles to do the same thing. Right, exactly that. And and so if if someone is going to have to make a throw to win the game, even with the, the bad shoulder, give me Jalen Hurts to get it done over Brock Purdy. So I'll have Philly... 
advancing to the Super Bowl again. And then in the AFC side, this one is real interesting. The Bengals go to Kansas City for the second year in a row uh, for a trip to the Super Bowl on the line to the Chiefs. The Chiefs right now are a one-point favorite, which means at a neutral site, the Bengals would be favored. Patrick Mahomes, he says he's going to play. He said after the game he's going to play. Uh, they're they're practicing, game planning as if he is going to play. They won't practice until Wednesday. I doubt he'll be practicing much this week, if at all. And even if he plays, I think he's going to be hobbling around a little bit with a high ankle sprain. And so I think all signs, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, point to, to Joe Joe Shiesty getting back to second straight Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, it, it's got to be Joe Shiesty, in my opinion. Um Three and zero, or is it four zero now against Mahomes? It would be four and zero if they win on Sunday. That's right. So, um, who would who would have thought the Bengals would get back to the Super Bowl? I thought that was going to be their one chance. Yeah. Um, for them to be back in the AFC Championship game is an is an accomplishment on its own. But, um, you know, I'm I'm going Bengals. Uh, their ability to play on the road these last couple of years have been spectacular. Got to take the Bengals, uh, but. Please, we cannot sleep on the Chiefs at all. They are the offense is too crazy, and we we are witnessing Patrick Mahomes do amazing things year after year. Uh, we have some great games this Sunday, but I'd say Bengals by a field goal. I'm gonna just you know sort of take consensus here. I'll go with the Bengals as well. Um, I thought you know if you could handle it in the snow, and I, I I'm not gonna make a pick regarding Mahomes' availability. I still think with Mahomes at what we expect him to be. I think Joe will do things that should, uh, you know, do, Joe will do um, Patrick Mahomes type things, type numbers. But again, I, I like the Bengals' uh, look on the offensive line and what they've been able to do with sort of kind of a junkyard sort of a deal there, and they're making it work. And I think that's going to power them through once again 4-0. I like the Bengals to win in advance. One, one thing to say about the Chiefs, they've talked about it. Uh, even Mahomes admitted they felt like they choked that, that AFC championship last year away to the Bengals. They were, I think, winning in the fourth quarter and ended up just not finishing the game strong. And so they really want that revenge to, to beat that uniform on that stage and, and kind of uh, undo that 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 ghost or, or that curse, whatever you want to say, get that monkey off their back, as we said, like with Prescott. Uh, so that that's what's on, on the line for, for both teams, and we'll be back next week to talk about it. We'll also be back to talk about Florida State, men's and women's basketball, hopefully a big week for both of those squads. But as we're... Signing off here on Tomahawk Talk for William Haynes, for Jackson Bakich, Jack Arducer, Jack Oliaro. A lot of Jacks. New yep. release is jack, next. Jack, 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 jack. You're listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.